On this episode, I speak to a team of product managers and software developers about their work on the Elizabeth Warren presidential campaign. Welcome to another episode of Dev Talk. My name is Kerry Lothrop, and today's show is going to be a little bit different. We've got four guests on the show. That's like two more than I've ever had before. And uh, these guests are doing a job that is also a little bit different from the, the other people I've had on the show. Uh, these four people are Nina Vaden, Leah Alpert, Suze Goldblatt, and Nora Harris. They all met while they were working on the Elizabeth Warren campaign for Elizabeth Warren running for president. And I'm really happy to have you on the show today. Thank you all for joining. And I I thought we, we would start by doing an introduction round. So maybe you could get started, Nina. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Carrie. So my name is Nina Vaden. Um, some of you folks might know me from my work at Xamarin and uh, later uh, on the Xamarin product at Microsoft. I spent the past nine months or so um, on civic leave from Microsoft, uh, working on the Warren campaign as the first product manager there. So I started there around June of last year. I thought it was well into the campaign. Uh, I didn't understand that it was still the very beginning um, and how crazy and amazing it would get. So yeah, I got to be part of that tech team. Great, thanks. Next one is Leah Alpert. Hi, I'm Leah. I started on the campaign in November, actually on the same day as Susan. And I mostly worked on our polling place locator app so people could go to our website and find out where and how to vote based on where they lived. Okay, and Susan? Yeah, um, I'm Susan. I started on the same day as Leah, um, moved from San Francisco, and um, I was working on building out a tool called Switchboard, which helps our volunteers contact other volunteers. And the last one is Nora. Hi, I'm Nora. I joined the team in January of 2020 as a second product manager on the team, and I manage Spoke. Spoke was our peer-to-peer texting tool that we uh, built in-house off of an um, open source tool. Thank you. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited about this episode today because... I never really thought about what goes into uh, making making a political campaign successful. The, the tech side is something that, of course, is there, but I think people don't think about a lot. And I'm also excited because uh, Elizabeth Warren was my preferred candidate for the U.S. president. So um, I'm I'm sad that it didn't work out, but and so I'm I'm from Germany, and uh, when I look at the states. I see uh, these these political campaigns. They they seem to be extremely uh, big. They uh, they've got a lot of funding, and uh, maybe you, you could you could tell us a little bit about what goes into um, making a political campaign in the states from a technical perspective. Yeah, so I might jump in for a little bit and then uh, let others speak. But I'll, as a quick summary, um, Carrie, one of the weird things about campaigns in general and especially when you think about technology is that they are um, they're very ephemeral so you uh, you build up this large organization with a lot of people and a lot of um, a lot of innovation and a lot of technology and then it all goes away whether you win or lose most of it goes away and it happens the big campaigns that are well funded like you mentioned happen really every four years maybe two years for the Senate cycles. So you can think about how much technology changes in four years and mm-hmm. think about all the new 
even the new functions, the new roles that you have to bring on to a campaign that didn't exist, say, four years ago or eight years ago. And yeah, and that it's it's like a crazy startup, but it's also unlike really any other organization that I've worked in. And do you, is there something to build on from, from past campaigns or do you develop everything from scratch? I think that the technology itself, um, there's like some of the underlying systems that different campaigns have access to. So there's like a few, like it's like in other tech spaces, there's like kind of like actors who have like databases and stuff like that. And civic tech, quote unquote, has like the same. So there's like a company called um, like Blue State Digital, which had like some tools that we would use. And there was a company called, I don't know if Van's a company. I think it's a company. So Van is like another company. And then it's like, so there's like a few companies that different like campaigns use that to build things off of um, like Mobilize, Mobilize America. Um, So there's like different sections, but I think wiring it all together, each campaign kind of has to do on their own. Um, And the other thing that I think comes into this too is like getting access to data. And that comes from like part of it comes from the DNC, which is stays around (laughs) for forever. Another part that's interesting is I think, a lot of startups spin out of campaigns. So there's there's startups in the tech world now that came from Obama alums in 2008 and 2012 and Hillary alums and Bernie alums like Spoke, which we talked about, was originally developed on the Bernie campaign in 2016. That's one way that people try to have their technology live on by taking things they built, maybe not the exact things, but the ideas they came up with on a campaign and then trying to build that out into a company to help future campaigns. I'd like to speak to this too. Um, I have a pretty different viewpoint from the other people on this team only because I've, I'm recent and new to tech. I'm myself a software engineer, but I actually started my career in campaign politics. I worked for Senator Sherry Brown's re-election campaign in 2012. I was the fundraising manager for, or deputy fundraising manager on a gubernatorial campaign in Ohio. So that's the Ohio governor running in 2014. And then I left campaigns for a long time, remade my career into a tech job, and then came back because I love Elizabeth Warren. But why I think that this is important is you asked how campaigns build off from each other. The most important resource that campaigns have are the people itself and the knowledge that lives in those people's heads. But what's so risky and hard about that is that campaigns are sometimes 16-hour-a-day jobs over a very short period of time and incredibly tough. So burnout is really, it's, it happens quite often. And in, in my case in general, too, I mean, I, I ended up leaving a campaign and I felt completely burned out and said I would never go back to politics. So it's, it is on the one hand, you want to keep people really engaged and keep that knowledge passing from campaign to campaign in this like very helpful, efficient web around the country on different levels of office too, running from maybe even just state representative or all the way up to president. But it's very difficult to keep those people engaged when it is such a difficult job over a short period of time. I read a Medium article that you posted about uh, open sourcing all the tools or or some of the tools that you made for the campaign. And I I was wondering, uh, so this was a whole list of of tools on on this in this blog post. Can you explain a little bit what, what the different users and stakeholders are 
in, in such a campaign? Who needs information? Who needs to input information? Who processes data? What's happening here? Well, that's a, that's a complex question. I think um, mm-hmm. it varies depending on the product. Um, I will say that the folks in this call and the team that I worked on um, was focused around what's called organizing technology. Our users were tended to be either some mix of like supporters, you know, folks who are who want to volunteer or um, you know want to get involved in some way, and um, the organizers on the ground doing the work of you know knocking doors and and getting volunteers out doing things. There's probably more that I'm missing, but but I think most of our um, most of our products could be covered by that. So both mm-hmm. internal and external. Okay, and the the actual voters are they in contact with your software also? For uh, the tool I worked on, our polling place locator, that was focused towards individual voters. So we tried to point people towards that tool so they could enter their address and look up where they could vote and how they could vote. Okay, and indirectly, a couple of our tools. I mean, spoke and our dialer and calls. Our users were the people who were using the tool, but they were using it to connect to voters more broadly. And how do you connect to users from from Spoke, for example? Uh, so there was already a well, well-maintained large group of volunteers uh, that came with each iteration of different uh, vendors and, and tools we use for peer-to-peer texting. So they're like... Um, I think it was Leah who said that startups come out of these different things. There were lots of different vendors for peer-to-peer texting. Peer-to-peer texting is something that's used on many nationwide campaigns because it is just so effective in reaching voters. A voter has a cell phone in their pocket. They will look at a text, but if they see someone calling, they are not going to answer that call because who answers their phone in 2020? So how we get in contact with them was we had this big group of users that was helping through each iteration of different tools. And then we onboarded about 5,000 users to Spoke um, in the last month and a half of the campaign who were doing all of our texting for us. Do you want to mention what peer-to-peer texting is? Yes, exactly. Not everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. I take that for granted a lot now because it's just a part of me. Peer-to-peer texting is when a volunteer can text a huge number of people and have a, an actual texting conversation about something specific, whether that's help us sign this petition or do you know your voting location or anything like that. But it would be weird if uh, and not ethical if I was given a list of phone numbers by the campaign like and say, oh, use your personal phone to go ahead and text these people. Not monitored mm-hmm. communication and shouldn't be giving out people's phone numbers. It's a whole weird mess. So instead, we had to build a tool where people could sign up and use our phone numbers that we had and um, see a list of people to talk to without getting too much information um, on who they are. So not breaking those ethical rules and then um, be able to text with people. And so do they actually input that using a text message or is there like a portal where they enter that information? So the, our portal was Spoke. So our, our Spoke mm-hmm. had, was connected to a company and a vendor, Twilio, who managed all of our phone numbers and our phone numbers that did the text for us. So they were just using our portal Spoke to write the text message. And when they press send in our thing, it's sent to text to someone's actual phone in their pocket who they would hopefully look at, say, heck yes, I love Elizabeth Warren. I'm voting for her for sure. <laughs> And was were most of the products web based? Is that something that's that's common here? 
Yeah, I think largely. We even we got a chance to do mobile, but we ended up doing a progressive web app for that. Um, which I saw that. <laughs> yeah, which which turned out really great. Um, there were some hiccups, but I think overall was a good experience for our users. So yeah, very. Um, I think pretty web based. Uh, folks, correct me if I'm wrong. It's been a couple months. <laughs> yeah. Um, the caucus app, I think, was the only one that would have been on yeah, on mobile. Exactly. So that's the progressive web app. Okay, but that was really packaged as an app and available in the app store. No. Um, okay. We had people. Um, they would type in the address in their browser on their phone, and uh, we had instructions on how to pin it. And when you when you pin the app to your home screen, it allows mm -hmm. um, some data to be cached, and that's that was important for us because it needed to work offline just because there's parts parts of Iowa where the cell reception is not so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, this was only for Iowa, this app? Yes. Uh, that's the other thing that was uh, strange about campaigns. Uh, we spent <laughs> probably eight months um, building an app for the Iowa caucus because it's the first state and um, it was the first contest. And part part of what I learned, which is more politics than tech, but the first couple contests are so symbolic. Uh, it, so mm -hmm. if you do well, or if you do better than expected, it shows that you have momentum. And then that brings you into the next con contest. And then people are more likely to vote for you because they think you're likely to win. It's, it's very, uh, yeah, it, it makes sense if you think about it. But like, why would we spend in terms of like the breakdown of um, the math that you needed to win, right? So, so this is counted in what's called delegates. So saying like you collect points with every contest, you collect delegates and you need a certain number to get the nomination. Uh, the first four states, you get barely any delegates, but you get all the clout. Um, so yeah, uh, eight months on an Iowa app. I, I guess that's why the, the actual presidential election is all in one day, because you don't want to uh, have people influenced by the results from the other states, right? I, I I don't know. I think this is a big conversation about the primaries, you know, who should go first? Should be should they be yeah. on different days? Uh, it's yeah, it's a larger conversation for sure. And uh, Iowa didn't go so well or or there was there were like technical problems or were they technical <laughs> problems? Uh, so I'll comment on this quick and then uh, and then let others speak. Iowa overall for the Democratic Party and specifically for the Iowa Democratic Party did not go so well. We had an interesting day because um, our tech, like for our team that we had worked on, actually worked quite well. Mm -hmm. I like to like use the example that we had. So we actually had internal results um, later that day, uh, and we were pretty sure of like how many delegates we had gotten. And um, one of the smart things we did, which I can't take credit for because it was somebody another campaign staffer who walked up to me and was like, you should do this. And I just trusted her and we did it. When you're in the caucus, you get this form that you fill out. It's just a paper form and it helps you with the math because it's it's pretty complex and it's all run by volunteers. This whole the whole caucus process is like another podcast episode on its own. But mm -hmm. uh, basically, you're asking a lot of random strangers who have never been in the same room together, potentially uh, to do pretty complicated math. And so they have this paper worksheet that they work through. And we built an app that just helped them calculate um, and run the equations for them so they don't have to do it in their heads. But people still like to write on paper. Um, and so we ended up collecting a lot of raw data, like photographs of these sheets. Um, and when all of this was happening um, in Iowa and there was this just chaos with the counts, um, they wanted the raw data uh, to help 
check on some of the precincts that seemed weird. Uh, so we had that raw data. So was, I heard that we were able to actually give that to the Iowa Democratic Party. And I felt pretty proud about that. I guess that's like, I, I feel like there's like an interesting concept about like with campaign technology and you would kind of like asked who's the user and, and who's the like, who are we building for? And I think the Elizabeth Warren campaign and like Nora can kind of validate this, like it's a grassroots campaign. And so like, we had a lot of like effort on our engineering side and creating products. And this will come back to IO, I promise. But we put a lot of time into thinking about like how to contact individual, like how to reach out to individual volunteers and voters and like how they could become helpful and like in becoming organized, like organizers in the sense that they would go contact other people. And so I think a lot of our technology ended up kind of being in this like realm of reaching out to people so that they could reach out to other people to like build this kind of machine that you need in a, Mm -hmm. in an election to like move forward when you can't like take money from big donors or have a super PAC. Like those were big things for Elizabeth Warren. And I think the, the reason that that's, it's like an interesting problem because it's like, like we can, the Elizabeth Warren campaign like brought in technology to help solve some of those problems. And I think the caucus app and like the Iowa democratic party, like, their issues like the 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 app that they had had a few issues that were like not entirely technology problems they were like training problems like they Mm -hmm. were people problems at the end I don't know that's how my impression of it at Mm -hmm. the end of the day was that like that what it came down to is like they didn't have enough time to train everyone they didn't like they set they set up security but it didn't quite make sense for the users that were using it and it's like I found that whole thing very interesting from like a tech perspective to be like, oh, this type of technology, like it's like the person who built it, like clearly like had used, like they used a product that I have also used um, to build it and ran into issues with, with using that. And it's, it's cause I feel like they came at it from a, a perspective of like technology building and, and like not as much from a perspective of like people are going to be like individual people are going to be doing complicated things in a room without Wi-Fi. Like, what do we do then? And like, those questions are, or like, how do we double check everything? Like, and those questions I think are like the stuff that people forget about when um, they're like engineering things. It's like the actual people. I think Susan, that's exactly right. And the other piece of this is there's no way to test an Iowa caucus app except for the night of the caucus to really truly like test it with, having like the the right users who are going to be as confused as they would be in real life to having the amount of data going through like it's just hard it's it's a hard thing to plan for and it's hard to get right and i think that the problem that the idp and um the the developers of what ended up being the iowa the big iowa caucus app had to um grapple with were bigger than the ones that we had they had way more security concerns than like we did for example so it's a hard problem it's hard to get right IDP is for Iowa Democratic Party. Yes, thanks, Nora. Okay. <laughs> and uh, coming back to, you said a lot of the reaching out to the voters is based on text messages. Is is that really the the only medium you're using? I, I mean, there, there probably are calls also, but, oh, but yeah. uh, from from the, the automated side, are, are there like, like if I think if, if you would do it in Germany, there's like a, maybe 80... 80 90 percent of the people have whatsapp installed and you could probably send out messages uh, without any costs to the to the users and or you could just at, at least check if they have whatsapp but then send it for free is, is that something like that available in the states 
I, I just want to point out like the texting and peer to peer texting is cool in that it's really effective, but it is at mm-hmm. not at all the only way that's spoken to. Like direct mail okay. is still a huge part of campaigns. Email is, we sent out so, so many emails, and there are lots of cool things to talk about with how our campaign handled emails. Mm-hmm. Phone calls, we did t- tons and tons of phone calls as well. Texting is just a medium, not the only medium. And canvassing, door knocking is still yes. like the gold standard in uh, contacting people. Well, and that's like too interesting, like the technology, like organizing technology, like we were helping to serve, like the, like our goal was to help the organizers, which is like a paid role on the campaign of people whose whole goal is to like help other people, like, con- like help contact voters. And I feel like they did like, it's like text, all these things, like they do a lo- like a lot of work and like, it's a lot of like, just like knowing the people and having like lists and calling them. Like there are so many times like we would be sitting in the office and you would just hear like an organizer, like calling up all their leads. Like there's a little hierarchy of like, volunteers basically okay uh carrie i think something interesting though that that you sort of alluded to is like there's still newer forms of contact people out there like whatsapp or twitter that we're probably not using to the fullest yet and so it's interesting to think like peer-to-peer texting is probably one of the newest popular ways to contact voters but what's next like there's probably a new way that's going to be coming in the next election cycle drone i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) i and i think most people in america don't have whatsapp okay yeah i would i think like the Mm -hmm. proliferation in the american market i don't know funny because it's an american product right (laughs) there was some interest in using like facebook messenger um but there were other Mm -hmm. uh issues around that sorry go ahead nora oh i was just saying i only have whatsapp to text my friends in germany so (laughs) ah there we go (laughs) and uh, but text messages generate costs for you for each message, right? Everything is expensive. Yeah. <laughs> Calls. <directly. laughs> Emails too? It, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. A little bit. Email with, I mean, if you. Yeah. Email cost per send. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Email and I guess part of what we do is like build first buy. So even if sending of an mm-hmm. email, let's say, doesn't necessarily cost that much for the like over the wire transfer of the email or whatever you'd be paying for. Um, there's a lot of products surrounding all these things. There's not a person clicking send on a million emails. Like we're using products that have been built to do these um, for emailing, texting, phone calls. Uh, and so you're paying companies to you know run that infrastructure and provide that product. And that's actually, I mean, Nora can take back over because that's part of why we started using and building out Spoke um, for text messaging. Yeah. I mean, because uh, truthfully, those vendors are very, very expensive. And again, my my campaign experience from before to the Elizabeth Warren campaign, first of all, you don't ever have a tech team this size on any campaign lower than maybe a high level Senate campaign. Everything is run on Excel on a campaign that's lower <laughs> than presidential. But like Leah mentioned, um, there are tons of vendors out there who do good work. But something I loved about the Elizabeth Warren campaign was so much of it was in-house. So much of it was trying to build teams that were coming up with the ideas close to the values of Elizabeth Warren and then go from there. We definitely did work with a lot of vendors. And I'm not saying that they weren't close to those values, but it was nice to have have that in-house flexibility. 
I saw in your blog post that you open open sourced everything on GitHub, and I thought that that's a really really cool step. You you said the the technology or what you build up there doesn't last long, but this is a way to to keep it alive and maybe have others use what you've created to 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 help their cause. And and uh, I, I was wondering is is this since you've moved on, probably you've moved on to to other jobs by now. Is putting this on, on, on Git, is it just, here's the source code, do whatever you want? Or are you actively maintaining it, accepting pull requests? I, I'm not actively maintaining Spoke, um, though I would like to sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I do field several, several emails every single week from different campaigns, different causes, different organizations that are working on Spoke. So I'm constantly emailing someone about Spoke. Um, and and my best practices and thoughts. Um, I'd love to hear other people talk about their their experience with that. I forget who mentioned this before, but I think Nora, you mentioned it. Um, that it's not just the technology passing on between campaigns; it's the people. And I think mm-hmm. that's actually what's come the most out of this, um, mm-hmm. because uh, one of the other developers who worked on spoke with Nora, Matteo, uh, he's been doing open source work, contributing back to spoke. Um, like the original fork rather than the one that we developed on directly for the Warren campaign. Yeah. And I'm now working on some similar things that I worked on to the campaign, um, trying to make it easier to transfer data between different pieces of political software and working on that as a product that multiple campaigns can use rather than just building it for one campaign. So I think it's interesting, like we are taking some of these things we worked on and ideas and trying to sort of contribute them back to the community. Um, and so it's not necessarily the code itself on GitHub that's doing the contributing, but it's all of us going back into the world and using those ideas and some of the, the things we learned and the things we built um, to keep contributing to political tech. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think with, so like, I also get a, like, I'll get a few inbounds, like Nina and I will get a few inbounds about Switchboard as well. Like people kind of, wanting to use it. And I would say like the choice to open source, I think was on more of like a, we want to show the world, like the things that we did and like give examples of like how to use them. But I don't think any of them are open source in the way that like sometimes like tech things become open source and that like none of us are actively maintaining it. So they're just kind of like examples of the types of things that like you could do or like looking back at it in, in terms of like, like, I think you'd have to still do a bunch mm-hmm. of work and, like, fork the repos and, and like, um, move forward. But it's nice to have them as examples to be, like, this is something that we thought about. And, like, if you want to do something like this, like, there are people who know how. Yeah, I, I did see there were a lot of forks of those projects already, yeah. That's exciting. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, are there? <laughs> like, it was, like... 70 forks Whoa. or spoke, I think, or something like uh, that. Well, that's probably not forked from our spoke. So spoke, spoke, as I mentioned, spoke was first developed in yeah. 2016. And so it, people have been okay. forking it since then. Okay. So just to, I would love yeah, to say, this is where we should give spoke, credit but to I, <laughs> moveon.org came up with the original spoke. Bernie started working with mm-hmm. it much earlier than we did in 2016. We are not the owners mm-hmm. or creators of spoke we just did have an in-house team building off of that with our own new tool so it was already open source beforehand and nora what are some of the changes that were key to our spoke um, and things that were technically interesting 
Oh, technically interesting. I think the way that we handled our our work with Twilio, which is one of those vendors that um, had all of our phone numbers, um, was probably the most interesting work that we did. Um, so when you think about phone, a phone number, a phone number is able to handle about 200 conversations at any given time. And phone numbers themselves are very expensive. And then when you think about how many phone numbers per area code that you're interested in texting is very important. I can go back and explain that. If I'm someone in Iowa, I want to be getting a text from an Iowa phone number so that it looks more personal and I'm more likely to answer. If all of our texts just came out of Boston, we're going to get that liberal East Coast elite nonsense and not and um, we're it would be harder to make that personal connection. It was very nice for someone to see that that area code similar to them. But technically, that's very difficult if you want to efficiently use phone numbers and save money in the process. So we built Spoke in a way, and this was all the brainchild of Matteo, who is now on that Move On team, um, working on the original Spoke and bringing these ideas there, which is great. But we had this whole idea around Every time you set up a group of people to text around a specific focus, like we call them a campaign, a text campaign, you're also spinning up a certain number of phone numbers that you need to talk to as many of the people that are on the list that you're trying to reach that day. Then once that campaign is over and uh, enough texts have gone out and they're all quiet, you can then close that campaign, release the phone numbers that you've already purchased back into the available pool to text different phone numbers. It's a lot of uh, dancing to get to that and save money and be efficient at the same time. Yeah, I just looked it up. Uh, so the Spoke actually has, uh, I, I mix up the numbers, Spoke has 41 forks, and this is of your version of Spoke, Ooh. and 172 stars. So yeah, uh, it is kind of popular. That's amazing. I want one open pull request. It is very. I mean, I, I get a lot of emails about it all, all the time, which okay. is great. But like, I also realized that like what we did was very cool. But the other tech that our team worked on was also in its own right a very big deal. And I I, I hate detracting away from like the really incredible. So I should explain. Like, um, again, I worked on campaigns before this. Switchboard is an incredibly powerful tool that just was not used enough. I know personally from, you know, lower campaigns down down the ticket, at whether governor or Senate or even lower, that would love to be able to use something like Switchboard and get volunteers engaged with other neighbors. So building those communities very closely, and especially the way that Nina used Switchboard herself when she was building out like phone banking um, meetings. I just think that that's an incredibly powerful tool. Um, It's good to talk about all the cool things we did. (laughs) Yeah. And I, like I am, I'm looking at our uh, open source page too. Like all our projects have dozens of stars and like 14 uh, forks or 12 forks. We're so popular. (laughs) We are so popular. But I do think like people are seeing this and hopefully using it or learning from it or taking ideas from it. Um, It's fun. Like I occasionally have friends be like, oh, I saw saw your code on a blog. So so it's it's cool that um, it is sort of making its way around. I do think it's making its way around the progressive tech community and people are looking at what we're doing and hopefully taking something from it. So Carrie, I um, if you're interested in this and let me know if you want to take this in a different direction, I think it would be really interesting to hear from both Susan and Leah on like 
how they architected the projects that they worked on and what were some problems that they solved. Because like I was there sitting next to them talking through all of this and there's just some really interesting um, technical challenges that um, that we had to face. Yeah, let's do that. Sure. sure. Yeah, I can kind of, um, and I like get to cheat a little bit because I wrote up a whole blog post about how, before I was working on the campaign, I was working at Google and I have spent some time thinking about like how tech on the campaign played out versus how like a big company played out versus like how a startup plays out. And I think for me, the main things that I found really interesting on the campaign were kind of surrounding like money, security, and speed and efficiency. So like, I think the things there, like, so like the campaign is like trying to spend as little money as possible in a way that I think most other places I've worked are are not like, I don't like not in a, like maybe to its own detriment. Like I think everything on a campaign is about like, okay, do we have to spend this? Like, could we spend less? Like there were a lot of choices that we made that were very cost centered. And I thought that was interesting. Then the other, the other kind of main pillar of security Um, so it's like knowing that we might get hacked, like, or that people would try and like take information out to use it maliciously Mm -hmm. was just not a place that I had ever, like, even at Google, like, I think I personally didn't have to think about it because there were like teams of people thinking about like malicious actors. And like, if there was a security concern, there are like many different avenues to deal with it. And it's like, I never had to think like, okay, like if someone try, were trying to hack into something that I built, like what would they be doing and how would they be doing it? And like, how can we minimize that? Which I thought was super interesting. And then the third one, like efficiency is just kind of like, because things move so fast, especially after the Iowa caucuses, it's like you build everything up to the Iowa caucuses and you don't like know, like you have polls, but they're like notoriously sketchy or whatever and then you you go up to the Iowa caucuses and then it's like after the Iowa caucuses it's like New Hampshire's next and then it's like of like every week there's another big moment until it's like Super Tuesday um and then after Super Tuesday there's more of those but I think that like that kind of intensity of just being like we need this we need it done now and it doesn't it's not if it's like quick and dirty that's fine because like we will throw it away in less than a Mm -hmm. year and I think all of those things coming together kind of inform a lot. Like it like makes decision making really funny and different. And so like the one that I think is really interesting for me when I first joined the campaign is we put Switchboard, it's a, it was a Django app and it was living inside of a Lambda function. Like the entire Django app was like deployed into <laughs> Lambda functions, which like for me is like a thing that like, because like I used to work on um, Firebase and Firebase has a similar product called like Firebase functions. and it's like one of those things where I had spent, like, I used to go to a lot of conferences and people would ask me like how to architect things. And I, if someone had told me at one of those conferences that they put a Django app into a function, I would have like laughed them out of their really like, I would have been like, why are you doing this? Like, what is happening? Like, and it was like really startling. And then I talked to the, um, the person who had set it up and I was like, yeah, this is crazy. We shouldn't be doing this. Like, this isn't how these, this tool was meant to be used. And they were like, yeah, I understand what you're saying, but also like it costs no money. Like we have it set up with like, it is like basically free to run this service. And like, it just was a while, like it was like one of those things where I was like, yeah, it does work. And like, there's a cold start and it's like kind of funny to do this, but like, it's not broken. Like, And it's like, I just like had to like accept that and move on. Yeah. 
and I think that's really like it was like that's kind of like felt like a great on ramp to the campaign of like it's okay if it's a little bit like like I wouldn't make those architecture choices in like a larger company but it like worked and was cheap and was secure and like those are the things that we cared about <laughs> yeah it's a, you you learn from that I guess yeah yeah um so I can jump in and add a few more things that I thought were interesting about developing on um, the campaign um as Susan mentioned like the intensity and speed at which we developed was like nowhere else I've worked before. Like a project that if someone had told me to do it somewhere else, I would say, okay, give me two weeks. We were expected to get that done in two days. And I think it actually made me a better engineer being like, how can I do this? Like, how can I, can I cut features? Can I think of a more efficient way to do this? Like to, you know, how can we accomplish our goal, but faster than I thought possible? And I think we did also hold ourselves to fairly high code quality standards. So I thought that was really interesting and for me ended up being sort of fun and challenging. And then another aspect is just, well, for me, I was working on a polling place locator. So we wanted people from all over the country to be able to type in their address and we would tell them when and where to vote. And when I first heard of this project, I was like, okay, cool. We have a database. We look up the polling locations. We serve them. That's pretty much it. <laughs> But in the U.S., nothing in politics is uniform across all the states. <laughs> and so actually each state makes their own voting laws and even each county um, or city can have different rules about voting. Uh, so that just ended up being like a fractally complex like rabbit hole of like, well, in this part, you know, here you can do early voting here. You can you have to vote in your precinct like your local uh, voting place but in this other part of the state you can vote at any polling location in the county and so it was just very interesting trying to build something that could work nationally when there's really all these differences locally and you know building if if you're building like your own web app not in politics you can kind of make the rules like, here's how my app's going to work. But working in politics, I mean, definitely with the pull in place locator, because that was really centered around what all the local laws are. But even there's a lot of other rules in politics around campaign finance or how you're allowed to contact voters. Um, and so I think I learned like more than I ever expected about sort of the complexities of politics. Um, I'm, I'm trying to learn too. Why is the, why do you have a polling place app for each candidate uh, why, why is that they're, they're not one per party or one for from from the state yeah. or from the from the federal government that's a great question and i can answer and then i probably nina can chime in if there's anything i missed um <laughs> there so each each state does make its own polling places available somehow but it's not necessarily on an easy to use website um and the democratic mm -hmm. party also has an online national um, polling place lookup. But strategically, we at the Warren campaign wanted our own for a few reasons. Um, one is that we wanted to be able to direct people to our own website, elizabethwarren.com. And then once they looked up their polling place, we gave them the option to sign up to get, they could, um, we could text or email that their polling location to them so they could save it for later. And we could send them a follow-up text or emails at, as their election was getting closer or if there were any changes to their polling location. Um, so we wanted to be able to keep people within our ecosystem. 
and be able to connect with voters who we knew were supporting us. Um, and another reason was we had teams, especially in early states like Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, so our own Elizabeth Warren organizing team was there and they were collecting polling locations across the state and being some of the first people to learn when those things changed. And they actually changed a lot, unfortunately. Um, but even like the day before the Iowa caucus, you know, Iowa caucuses are held in like a school gym. And so if the school had a gas leak or some sort of construction breakdown, like they needed to move it. Um, and so we wanted to be able to own our own data and make updates mm -hmm. to the poll in place data. Okay. I, I guess also with the, the coronavirus hitting, uh, a lot of things must have changed. Well, coronavirus hit right after really hit the u.s for like four days after our campaign ended okay this was was when when was the end it was march 5th yeah march 10th 5th. okay we didn't yeah. remember day March that one. No. <laughs> yeah it was actually my plan to go to berlin for a couple months after the campaign but uh, that didn't happen so <laughs> yeah i was set to fly to to seattle on march 14th and that didn't happen <laughs> No. Yeah. Especially because Seattle was hit first there. Yeah. And I was wondering, do did you have or does any candidate have like an, an a real native app app store type of app that that is used to like inform you about the newest things, uh, give, give you push notifications? I'm, I'm thinking about that. This is me as an app developer talking. Yeah. I would think uh, you, you get get close to the voting booth and then you get a push notification reminding you which candidate is the best. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an interesting question. So I, I, as a mobile developer, really wanted to bring some of these pieces in. Um, but it actually, mm -hmm. the more research I did around it, so first of all, Joe Biden, I believe, has a mobile app um, that you can go download okay. in the store. Yeah, um, as does Trump, apparently. Oh, oh yeah, that that's I heard about that one. So I guess the two, like the two um, candidates in the general election, have one. Um, it really people don't tend to download apps, and like it's hard to get it's hard to get through that threshold with a lot of users. Uh, in my experience, um, it's good if you already have a strong brand. That said, mm -hmm. we didn't we didn't have like an app where you would download and learn more about Elizabeth Warren because we had a very beautiful website for that, and that's where most people would go and and read and donate. Um, but we did have two apps that we used that we didn't build, but they were white labeled apps uh, through vendors. So one of them uh, was a like a message boards community app um, that folks used, and it had a um, you know, it had the Warren logo and and everything, and it was branded mm -hmm. with our colors. Um, and we had these really amazing community moderators on it um, who were just building this um, this virtual space uh, for Warren supporters, which was incredible. the The second one I really loved. Um, it was called Reach. Uh, it was actually originally developed um, by a small team in New York for Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's campaign, and then so. As Susan was, uh, I think it was Susan, several people mentioned uh, that like startups form out of um, out of campaigns. So 
uh, this was another startup that formed out of a campaign. Um, and they allowed for something called relational organizing. Um, so the way that would work, um, and this app, it's, it's actually a beautiful app that I, I loved using. Um, you would, we, we as a campaign loaded in some of our campaign data, uh, and then we would have some basic vetting for folks that got access. And so you would type in, say you met somebody on the street at the farmer's market and you knew they were a Warren supporter, you know, they liked your Warren shirt um, and you wanted to tag them as a supporter, which is data that's really valuable for the campaign and maybe like subscribe mm -hmm. them to emails. Um, so now they can be uh, contacted. So you could get their, um, I think you could look them up by name or address um, and you could find their file and add some information so you answer some questions about them and if they're willing to give you their email, put that in and then uh, that gets saved and then the campaign will get that through a data sync that we had set up. So that was one example I think of using mobile because that's something that you really want on the run uh, when you're out in the world versus you know something that you might do on your desktop. And that was a kind of a nice encapsulated um, and critical functionality that I think set it up to be a perfect uh, a perfect app. Um, but yeah, we didn't do mm -hmm. any, apart from that progressive web app for the caucus, we didn't really do any mobile development. Um, Switchboard was also a progressive web app. Um, so folks could pin that and um, and use it to call people in their community, et cetera. But yeah. Uh, is what you've done and somehow applicable to, applicable to other countries? Do you think that what you've built could be used in a different country? I think without knowing like the specifics of like other countries' political space, I, it would be hard to say. Although like outside of political, like we've had questions, like we had a question right at the beginning of the pandemic about using Switchboard mm -hmm. to contact like people, like if like there was like um, people isolated in, um, like an assisted living home and and there were people who were like I want to help um contact them but I just don't know how to mm -hmm. and and that idea of like switch forward to for this like you would get a list of people that you were like responsible for contacting and and kind of like socializing with um so I would say there probably is some overlap although I think as Leah mentioned like there's probably different laws for different places and it's like peer to peer texting in particular I think lives in a bit of a Oh yeah. Like I don't I don't know how to say this, but like it's like other countries yeah. might not allow it, basically, is like for especially for peer to peer texting. It's just in a legally gray zone. Um and it's it's every every uh and but what we were doing was okay, but the idea of peer to peer texting, when I say legally gray zone, I mean it probably will come under It'd be in conversation shortly. Um, so the idea that your phone number could be used and other people could text you, um, you ha currently American law states that um, if you're going to do any sort of test texting like this, a human has to press the, the enter button or send the text. That's what a human does. Mm -hmm. If you're doing automated texting, which is another way, it has to look very clear that it's automated. You have to get buy-in and saying, yes, I want these automated texts. And there has to be a way to opt out of that right away. So automated texting is one thing. Legally, peer-to-peer -peer texting is this other thing that um, will start to be coming under review because it's very new still. But there are people who will start questioning, like, how is my phone number being used? Is this safe? I don't really want a random person to have, be able to text me just because I support this candidate. 
So you'd have to check laws throughout wherever you're using it. I think uh, throughout the I used to joke throughout the campaign, and I think this is true for both myself and Nora as the PMs who are doing a lot of research around some of this stuff, um, these mass contact um, mm -hmm. tools, that it was really like I was starting to know the tricks of like the scammers and the telemarketers. Like I knew so much and I guess I still do, but like I learned so much about um just different calling practices, different types of dialers, which ones are automated, which ones aren't, like what the laws are uh, and how you get around them. And it just, I was like, if, if I was getting these calls, I would feel awful and I probably wouldn't pick up. But uh, at the same time, you know, as somebody who was making the calls and sometimes having these incredible conversations um, and connecting with people about a candidate that I loved, um, you could see the usefulness of it. So it was, a, it was an interesting experience uh, for sure. I was wondering if you actually got to meet Elizabeth Warren while work, working for her. We did. I'll cry yes, about it if I start talking about it. She's just as great in person. Yeah, she's, uh, she's lovely. She's very warm in person. Truly my hero, through and through. Is this like where you were all working in, in one building? or I, One building. I'm having a hard time to imagine. Imagine how, how many people are involved in this. Uh, yeah, big usually a yeah, big old warehouse with no windows. Um, there was mm -hmm. one office in Bo like it was out kind of Boston, kind of Somerville um, area. And then um, there were teams on the ground in various states. So we had a big organization in Iowa and New Hampshire. And then those people spread out to the later states. Um, but uh, the senator herself uh, would come by occasionally. She wasn't in the office day to day. Uh, she was traveling and, and doing interviews. And she had a core team of um, some folks around her who managed her schedule and made sure uh, she had the things that she needed. Um, but yeah, she visited. And sometimes uh, Bailey and Bruce would visit too. <laughs> yeah, just I was going to say, in, our, in the main headquarters where we all worked, someone can correct the numbers. They're probably about... Two or three hundred people working in that building. That's what I'd guess mm -hmm. too. And then there were somewhere probably one to two thousand people working for Elizabeth Warren across the country, or being organizers and on the ground data teams in every state. So I was that was some, one of the things I was most surprised about. Like when I walked into the office for the first time, I was like, "This is huge." Um, I was I never thought about like thousands of people working to support one primary candidate, but it was a really big, impressive operation. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea. That sounds like a lot of people, yeah. Yeah. For all, for, on such short notice, they, they join for a short time and then it's over after a few months. Yeah. I just want to say again that that is at the national level. It is not that way for all campaigns across the United States. Um, like a gubernatorial yeah. campaign in Ohio, which was a very high profile, it had much much less than that <laughs> like maybe 70 maybe okay so what's next for all of you are you some of you staying in politics or back to a, a normal corporate job i'm running for president of the united states so yes. <laughs> i'll support you <laughs> no, <I'm for> president. <laughs> my policies look very similar to elizabeth Warren's. <laughs> i'm yeah, just kidding. you'll have the best tech team <laughs> <laughs> you have a dog so that's a start <laughs> <laughs> so but you you uh, this ended on march 5th and and was it then uh, okay you plan to to go to berlin or um or have some time off i i guess this is probably pretty 
you're burned out after after such an intense I, I period. I slept for and, two and, weeks straight, yeah. and then I watched all of Gilmore Girls, I bet. like all seasons <laughs> and the Netflix special. And then I started to get my life together. It, I think Nora commented to this at the beginning. We were all very tired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think from the group, I'll definitely let uh, the folks on here speak for themselves. But it was a mix. I think some folks went into the smaller progressive tech companies or tech or you know progressive organizations. Mm-hmm. I went back to Microsoft at least for now. It it really uh, kind of kind of all over. And with COVID, uh, it was also really interesting. I think. It impacted, from what I've heard, it impacted a lot of people's um, decisions because you just didn't have the same options. Yeah, it's not not a good time to start looking for a new job, right? Yeah, there are definitely like some, um, like there are some like plans that have been put on pause um, in terms of like what was planning to happen after the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the campaign, I. Um, I personally, I started um, working with an organization called COVID Act Now about um, handling some COVID data and making it accessible for uh, different organizations and Mm -hmm. individual people in the United States. So I've been working on that for the last few months. Have you heard of people who have moved over to the Biden campaign? Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty cool, actually. Mm -hmm. I'm now working at a political tech startup, uh, as I mentioned before, working on uh, integrating between different political software. And one cool thing about that is I'm talking to people at other campaigns and political tech software companies. And I've talked to so many former Warren employees, uh, because I think we've really spread out across the political tech and campaign ecosystem. So it's, I think it's really cool sort of where the Elizabeth Warren network has gone. So there's a number of people on the Biden campaign now, as well as uh, other like local or state campaigns, as well as other movement groups or nonprofits or startups. You get a network that's unlike anything else. It's just um, that there's a there's a phrase that's like a rite of passage when you work on a campaign, which is fun employment, where there's time after you finish a campaign to sleep for two weeks straight and watch all of a TV show. And you honestly need that because you, your body is broken after working that hard. And something we haven't really talked about here um, is that the work that these people are doing on campaigns, like the four of us here, it's not just the hardest work and most demanding professionally, but also the most demanding personally. Because all of these people care and support our country, are are the candidate that we want so deeply that we're throwing our entire life into this. There's no friends. There's no going to the gym regularly. Your life is your work for this person. So you absolutely mm-hmm. need time to decompress, reflect, and after a campaign. And this has just been incredibly strange with COVID and the huge numbers of unemployment um, coming right at the tail end of our of our supposed to be grieving time for our candidates end, but um, it, it should have been a rite of passage to get that time to decompress without feeling the need to get a job right away. It's just an interesting time, but I do have a job. I started a job a month later in Chicago for a very small design and dev house as I'm, I'm a software engineer. That's great. 
Well, thank you all for being my guests today. I, I've been, I, I'm, I'm blown away by the work you've done. And it was very, very interesting learning about all of this. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you. so much for having us on. Yeah, thank yeah, you, Carrie. This is wonderful. This has been another episode of Dev Talk, and we'll see each other again in two weeks. Mm-hmm.